Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everybody. This is Janice Malone, host of Film Festival Radio Show, and we have another interview to bring to you. Hopefully, you will enjoy it as much as we did with uh, talking to our guest. Downwind is a new documentary feature film that chronicles the nuclear testing that took place in the Nevada area, where 928 nuclear weapons were detonated between the years 1951 and 1992, and how these tests have impacted various people over the last several decades. The film is narrated by actor Martin Sheen and also includes appearances from Oscar winner Michael Douglas and political satirist Louis Black with Matthew Modine as executive producer. Downwind will premiere on August 18th in select theaters and on video on demand. Now, you can find more information about the movie Downwind on Instagram. You can go to at downwind underscore film. Again, that's at downwind underscore film. I recently spoke with Mark Shapiro, who is one of the directors and one of the producers uh, of Downwind, and talked to him about the making of the film and just a lot of, uh, you know, what all involves making the film and just the backstories. I call them the pocket stories. So let's listen to my recent conversation with producer, director Mark Shapiro about the film Downwind. Let's take a listen. Guest for today's show. He's a very talented uh, filmmaker. He is the director and one of the producers of a brand new feature documentary titled Downwind. And I'm speaking with Mark Shapiro. Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a real pleasure. Now, I understand Downwind will be opening, uh, is that nationwide on August 18th, or is it in limited run in certain segments of the country, or is it all over the nation? It will be in select theaters on August 18th and on many different platforms available. Uh, we'll have a character letter that I can send to you okay. that will show you exactly where you can watch it on, on the 18th. Wonderful. Okay. Uh, will you, uh, in your state or city, will there be any kind of red carpet type of uh, event taking place or what? Um, no, we're actually just, uh, we're, we're in Lindley's in Santa Monica. We're doing a, you know, that first screening on the 18th. And then um, for the most part, it is an opportunity for people to be able to view it at home on demand or, you know, on, on other platforms. Um, but we don't, we're not going to be doing a red carpet yet. However, um, we have some other screens down the road that um, I'll be able to address um, where there'll be more of a sort of a festive atmosphere. Well, I really hope that you guys have something here in Las Vegas since so much of the film is about our state. But we can talk about that at a later time then, of course. Okay. But again, I do, I will add that we will have some live screenings in Las Vegas because it was such a critical part of our um, of our production. A lot of people are from there, and we're hoping that we're going to be in a, a screening at a theater there. Um, we actually just had a meeting last uh, week, so it was absolutely essential for us to be able to screen in, in Las, live in Las Vegas, so it will be something that I'll, I'll let you know about. Great. Great. Looking forward to it. Okay, so let's just jump right in here. Uh, the documentary, again, is Downwind, 
and it chronicles the nuclear testing that happened uh, in southern Nevada between the years of 1951 and 92. This, this is, is a hard film, at least for me. It was very difficult to view, but it was much needed viewing, and the information needs to continue to be out here. So how did this all come about? for you to do this documentary? Do you have family or friends that were affected by all of this nuclear testing or what? So when co-director Doug Miller and I set out to make this documentary, we were initially focused on the test site itself. We were surprised to have read that there were 928 nuclear detonations at the Nevada test site. I think everyone is aware of Trinity and obviously with Oppenheimer, um, sort of in the, in the spotlight right now. But I don't think people are, were aware that there were several, you know, you know, almost a thousand nuclear weapons detonated in, in Nevada that most of them had higher yields than the one, than the Trinity um, explosion in, in New Mexico. And so personally, Doug and I, just like just about everybody, you know, that we've come across has been impacted by cancer in one form or another. And, you know, the, we made the connections of, the nuclear detonation to a group of people called downwinders who live sort of adjacent to the Nevada test site and east of the Nevada test site where the winds sort of carry the, the fallout. And the, the biggest thing for us was we, we almost felt like this was sort of a breaking news story, but like you mentioned, um, testing concluded, at least underground testing concluded in 1992, but a lot of people weren't aware of it. And so as we delved deeper into the topic, we felt like it was a really important topic to shine a light on the individuals, not only, as I mentioned, adjacent to the test site, but those really around the world that are impacted by every every single atomic detonation has some sort of venting or um, fallout that impacts people. And so our as we as we as we sort of researched further into the topic, we wanted to know who was impacted and why, because winds tend to be predictable, but also unpredictable. So we knew that the winds were going a different ways and, and were impacting people downwind. And again, through further research, as you see in the film, um, downwinders in the, initially were three groups in particular, Native Americans, Mormons, and uh, sort of those living, you know, on the range, cow, you know, cowboys or or the early ranchers um, that were impacted, and we we also knew that they didn't really have a platform. Native Americans, Mormons, cowboys, they they tend not to be very vocal when it comes to anti-governmental, you know, or sort of activism. So that was sort of the genesis of what we were looking at with the film, and really wanted to um, have downwinders be, you know, have a voice. You know, we, we really wanted to put a voice to the to the folks that were impacted in the wake of scientists like Oppenheimer and others that um, created this, uh, you know, remarkable force that impacts, you know, so many people. And we, we, we wanted to shine a light on that. Now, your film is, uh, you have some heavy hitters, A-listers from Hollywood here. The film is narrated by Martin Sheen. And tell us about some of the other A-listers that are involved uh, in the film. And how did you get, how did you get them on board here? Well, we were really fortunate uh, that the people that we reached out to, you mentioned, um, we had Oscar, Oscar, two-time Oscar winner, Michael Douglas, um, Martin Sheen as the narrator, 
um, Louis Black, who's a political satirist, um, and uh, Patrick Wayne, John Wayne's son. Those are sort of the Hollywood presence in our in our film. But we also, you know, we we reached out to some of the more prominent folks in the Downwind community, and Claudia Peterson from St. George, not far from Las Vegas, and um, Mary Dixon, who lives um, in Salt Lake, and Ian Zabarte, who's a Las Vegas resident. They're all probably some of the most local um, folks in the Downwind community. So we feel like um, we, with our film, we really wanted to go for the most, um, you know, the, 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 the voices of the Downwind community. And, you know, the Hollywood A-listers that we mentioned are, have all been connected or closely connected to the detonations at the test site. Martin Sheen was arrested there several times. Um, Michael Douglas talks about his experience with um, the, you know, the making of the film The China Syndrome and the connection of his family in Belarus near um, Chernobyl. And when we approached the folks, not just the, you know, the Hollywood A-listers, but others, they all, you know, they were all impacted by it. And I think they felt like it was very important to tell the story and tell an accurate story of, like I mentioned, the impact of science. Science is a is a many-headed beast, right? It's a, it's a positive thing, but it's also responsible for, you know, things like nuclear weapons. And so the folks that we, that we approached were very, you know, were, were really excited to tell their story. They felt it was an important story to tell and, and, and to tell it the right way. So we really went for, you know, a film that was really going to tell the, a truth. And for that truth, we really needed to reach out to significant members of the community who were impacted by nuclear weapons. And by the way, we also spoke with um, a person that covered the military for the Review Journal in Las Vegas, Keith Rogers. And um, he was a prominent reporter there for years and years and covered the test site, along with Darwin Morgan, who was the uh, public affairs director for the Nevada test site for years. So we really also, you know, we wanted to make sure we told a complete story. Um, we didn't want this to be one-sided. We wanted the film to appeal to all the political perspectives, we're we're so divided right now as a country, but I feel like here it's a you know it's, it's sort of American history that we're telling, um, you know, a truth about American history, an unforgivable time in American history, and I think all parties agree to that. But there is also um, we also really enjoy our role as a you know living living in this country. I do. I appreciate it. I'm thankful that I live in America, but I also feel like there's responsibility of our government, and so. The folks who participated, you know, thought it was important also to, to tell this truth. Now, to further speaking, uh, to speak, I should say, of uh, tours and such, I understand that you were here at March 7th, early March, and you went to yeah. visit a, a Nevada test site. You took a tour there. What did you see? It's a really remarkable tour of the test site. Uh, it, it's eye-opening, and it's a public tour. Um, the museum is the Smithsonian Institution, and if you live in Las Vegas or if you visit Las Vegas, um, it should be a place high on your list of places to visit. It's a really amazing museum. Um, it, it details the history of atomic testing and the Cold War, and it's a, it is a, you know, it's a part of our history. And anyone can take a tour of the test site. Um, you just have to get on a list, and you contact the museum, and, you know, they'll, they'll, they take you in an air-conditioned bus. It's a free tour and it's a full, you know, the full day tour. They drive you up to the test site. You 
turn in your phone, and in my case, I had to also turn in my watch or anything that could record anything, and you just listen to history, and it's, um, they take you to safe places around the Nevada test site where they, you know, they show you where they detonated some of the some of the weapons, but also um, take you through areas where they're they're working on other other measures of safety, you know, when it comes to um, anything anything to do with with the you know safety of travel or things like that. They're they're working on ways to counter terrorism, things like that. There, so it's really a, a living history museum that has history, and it's also a part of sort of our nation's um, heritage and also protection. Um, that said, it's not, you know again, I was I went there with the knowledge that I was going to see some of these places where they tested the bomb, bombs I should say, and you know there's there's sort of a a surreal a surreal experience when you when you when you see it up close and it's a it's a huge parcel of land i mean it's it's the size of rhode island it's thirteen hundred and fifty square miles and it gives you some idea you know it 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 is you understand why people are patriotic and you understand why people are activists because it really does connect you with american history and you know the the fact that it's open for tours, especially now that, um, you know, we're past the pandemic, um, tours are probably more available now, and I would check with the museum, but it's something, it's something that if you're interested in any kind of U.S. history, especially as it relates to military, uh, it's, 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 I can't miss. Um, I, I will also say that there were moments of um, concern or, you know, the, the, the test site is, built and restricted um, land that the, the government has restricted the land that I mentioned the size of Rhode Island that is deeded Shoshone Nathan land. I was, I was very aware that this is Shoshone land that the government is now um, restricted. And so, you know, there's, there's a little bit of, you know, the, there's an understanding of the consequences of, of being a superpower. And, and so you have to make the decision for yourself whether, um, you know, this is, this is a place of patriotism it's also a place of activism. There were a lot of uh, a lot of protesters that went to the test site. There's actually a um, a peace camp right across the freeway from the test site where there's graffiti and peace signs and symbols where people would meet to do, you know, their their protests. So it's it's really an all-encompassing experience, and it, it, you definitely feel like you're a part of history. And so when did you start on the film? How, how long did it take you to get everything together? We started on the film um, a little over three years ago. So it was it was a labor of love during a very challenging time for any filmmaker, obviously, with the, with the pandemic. And um, But we began researching uh, not only the test site, but, but also, you know, understanding sort of the significance of testing worldwide, globally. And... You know, it also touched it on Hollywood, as I mentioned. Um, Patrick Wayne, his dad, John Wayne, you know, an iconic American, made a film called The Conqueror in St. George, Utah, which is, you know, just over 100 miles from the, the test site, but it's, it's east. And uh, a year before they started filming at the test site, there was a detonation called Harry that drifted uh, against their their meteorologist predictions, and the wind carried a lot of fallout over the St. George area. Um, Snow Canyon is the name of the national area where it's, a, it's actually a very beautiful um, park where you have the red, of, you know, Utah red hills and 
it's a campground and it's an area to explore. But they, they made a lot of Hollywood productions there, including The Conqueror, and the, the cast was there for a few months um, on location. And as we delved deeper into our research, we found that, according to a People magazine article, um, half the cast of The Conqueror died of complications related to cancer. And this was a People magazine article, again, written in 1980 by a guy named Mark Sennett, who is one of the people we interview in the film. And he, he'd he gone to St. George to, because he'd heard about the tremendously high leukemia rates there. And as he delved deeper in, into his research, he found out that a lot of Hollywood productions were made there, including the John Wayne film. So there was, there was a lot of press back then, you know, asking, did America kill John Wayne? And we thought that was a really interesting angle to look at, you know, in our story, because John Wayne, although he's one American, kind of represents sort of the iconic, brazen American hero. And, you know, that became the irony, you know, did, did America kill John Wayne? That's, again, something, you know, for, for history or others to explain. But we definitely wanted to to bring that to the fore so people could understand the impact that it impacted everyone and then it, you know, it impacted Hollywood. And then as we, as we zoomed our lens back, we, you know, really talk about how radiation and fallout impacted all parts of the country as we show in some of the maps that they show these radiation maps. Um, you could be as far away as New York or, you know, even in other countries where the fallout drifts globally. So all of the, for all those reasons, you know, we, we just became so fascinated with this story. And really wanted to spend a, we spent a lot of time researching. Um, you know, we did a lot of interviews. We did, you know, 30 or 40, maybe more interviews that we couldn't even use in the film because we had to, obviously, just like anyone, we had to cut some interviews from, from the film that we made. But in terms of research, you know, we, we talked to people in Congress. We talked to the folks that are in the film. We spoke with scientists. We spoke with doctors. We spoke with researchers. We spoke with Native Americans. It was just really, important for us to get, you know, the full story. And then we had this incredible um, serendipitous moment where Oppenheimer premiered, you know, before our film, and it really does kind of show the people in the wake of Oppenheimer, you know, and obviously Oppenheimer is a complicated story, you know, as a scientist and what he built and what he helped build and how it impacted, it impacted people. And so we like to, look, again, look at our story as, as um, the people in the wake of Oppenheimer and other scientists, um, the, the radiation, the fallout, what goes up comes down for every action. There's an opposite and equal reaction, right? So it, it, it became sort of fascinating. And, and, um, you know, again, our, 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 we just want to let the cameras roll and people tell their stories. Was it difficult? Uh, I won't say difficult. Was it to get the people, the non-Hollywood people, maybe the non-scientists and such, just regular people who were affected by um, the radiations? Was it difficult to get them to on camera to be interviewed? You know, to get your trust. That's a that's a really good question. Um, I mentioned before we we just wanted them to tell their truth. We wanted we it was important for us to. Um, we were we 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 wanted to ask questions and how they were impacted and and you know you see in the film some heartbreaking stories happen in the film and it's, yeah. it's, it's it is a heartbreaking film in a lot of ways but it's also an important film you know if you're an American if you're a world global citizen I think you'll consider it important because there were there are cancer clusters across the country and it's, you know and across obviously across the world 
we just ask people, you know, you know, to tell us what they think and we let the cameras go because they, you know, Claudia Peterson in St. George has been telling her story for years and I don't know if people really, really understand her story. And so I, you know, for her to open up with, again, an opportunity for her to, um, you know, to, to talk about how she was impacted, how her family was impacted and how she became sort of an activist um, coming from a small town in Utah growing up in a conservative family, but also understanding that there's a right and a wrong. And, you know, when you lose a child, when you lose a sister, when you lose parents, um, you begin to, you know, speak out and become inspirational. So Claudia doesn't view herself as someone that, you know, this, this happened to Claudia, but she's also inspiring. You know, she, she goes around the world now and speaks to people surviving in Hiroshima and Nagasaki and, um, to parts of Russia where she said she grew up, um, like a lot of Americans fearful of Russians, but then at the end realized that a lot of them, there were downwinders in Russia too, that were suffering similar, um, consequences. So we found Mary, Mary Dixon's story too, to also be inspirational. Mary's a writer based in Salt Lake. She wrote a play about, um, downwinders and you know, she's a journalist. She's, she's written a lot about the topic about RICA, which is the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act. She's been very active in that, as has Claudia. And Ian also, Ian Zabarte, um, who is the principal man of the um, Shoshone Nation. And he talks, of, you know, just talks a lot about story and that it's inspirational. It's inspiring because they're not, people are not, um, they're not going to quit in their battle for, for recognition, you know, for RICA Radiation Exposure Compensation Act to be expanded. So, um, other folks, whether, you know, from downwind communities can, um, can benefit from compensation that's due to them. You know, the, the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act is a very complicated act that was, that was enacted by Congress that allows folks in only three states and only specific counties of three states to be eligible to receive a lump sum of $50,000 to cover um, any sort of cancer treatment, um, you know, that, that they, you know, from exposure to radiation. But if you think about it, New Mexico, where Oppenheimer um, did his test in Los Alamos, not, no, no one in New Mexico is eligible for RICA right now. Um, in Utah, only folks in southern Utah are eligible. In Nevada, only folks, you know, sort of near the test site, like in Las Vegas, is not covered. Um, and Arizona, little bits of northern Arizona. So only three states have eligibility in RICA. And so another sort of hope for our film is that RICA is expanded. And, you know, I, I think that with Oppenheimer and hopefully with our film, people will understand that there really are people who deserve some sort of compensation for the, you know, unforgivable era in U.S. history. So the RICA compensation is $50,000 one time, one payment only, and that's all? For them? Yes. Yeah. Oh, and you know, it's interesting. Um, so it is a one-time payment of $50,000. It's a step in the right direction because I think it's an admission of guilt mm -hmm. and a, you know, a desire to compensate. But the challenge is, you know, none of the, film, none of the folks in our film were eligible for RICA. So you, you saw what happened with Claudia's family. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she lives in St. George, but not, it's, her county is not eligible for RICA. So, Again, and Mary too. Mary lost a sister and she 
40, I think, or 75 neighbors in her neighborhood. None of them were eligible. Dr. Mentz is another person in our film that is a, um, you know, he's had cancer twice and um, talks about what happens when you're when when you're exposed to radiation, what can happen, and he's also not eligible. So it's it's one of those things where, um, you know, it's a step in the right direction, but fifty thousand dollars in today's climate, when we're talking about, you know, you break your arm, you go to the hospital, it's, you know, it's ridiculous how much healthcare costs. And yeah. so to get, you know, adequate healthcare for something as, as debilitating as cancer or other ailments from, you know, known to be plausible from exposure to radiation is definitely, um, you know, it's, it's not enough. I don't know. I don't know what price you put on, what price you put on life. It's very, very, it's a very, very challenging topic. A lot of people, um, that are eligible for REIT that don't want to accept it because it's almost like, you know, here's a, here's a payout for something. But if you've lost someone, um, or if they're eligible for, for RICA, in some ways they, they felt it was insulting even to accept that amount of money because it's, you know, how do you, how do you reconcile that? So that's another thing for maybe people in the film to think about. I don't want to, you know, people will have their own answers to what, to, to how they view RICA. But in my mind, it seems pretty clear that it needs to be expanded um, to include others. And so it's just so many questions I have here. No, I'm fine. Yep. Why, why was the testing done in North America? Why wasn't it done some far, far remote island underneath, you know, in the South Pole somewhere? I mean, why? Why did that ever come the answer ever come to surface or what yeah so we asked that question of darwin morgan who's at the atomic testing museum in the film he actually talks about um i should start again we asked that question of darwin morgan who worked at the nevada test site for years and he he said that um the reason the test site was chosen for its specific location was it, it was sort of a guarded area easy easy you know, it was a valley that, that was surrounded by mountains. Um, there were, when they did the testing in the atolls in, um, you know, the far Pacific, it's very expensive to move anything, anything out, you know, across the ocean to test in, in, in which they did test in the waters, um, gigantic, you know, tests that were done in the waters. There were a lot of, um, fishing trawlers that were actually spying on the testing. Uh, there were, you know, sort of a, there were, there were reasons of, um, military security as well as financial, um, reasons for why they chose the test site because, it, you know, it was an enclosed valley. Um, it was easily, easy to cordon off and restrict the valley for, for others, you know, that there weren't people that could spy on what was going on, similar to what they did in New Mexico. Um, and again, moving, moving this, these tremendous, uh, you know, the, the, the machine of nuclear of power, nuclear bomb is a significant, uh, there's, there's a lot of machinery and things that need to be shipped to the, to the far Pacific. And it would do, it, it would have just, it was outrageously expensive for the government, but also, um, you know, security was, was a, was a big concern. What are the chances, or, or according to the research and people that you've talked to, what are the chances that something similar to this could happen again. I always think about CERN, but of course that's over in Switzerland. But I mean, what 
what are the odds? What are the odds that we uh, testing could resume? Yeah, so, so, or, or similar type of testing, maybe in a more modern um, capacity, but still dangerous testing. I think it's a really great question. There were politicians in Utah um, that brought up the fact that, you know, maybe testing is a good idea. I know that uh, Trump has, had brought it up, you know, the idea that, you know, maybe we resume testing. I think I think it sort of depends on the climate of the country and whether or not, you know, we can sign these these agreements and treaties with other countries or, or they or do they fall apart. You know, we're in this world right now that's so shaky and, and um, there are so many factors that, that play into positioning of the superpower, whether you're China, Russia, or the United States. And so that's just a question of, you know, where we feel as a stable nation. And we talk about that a little bit in the film. Um, Keith Rogers, but I really think it's important that I bring him up because he he was a Las Vegas-based journalist for years and an amazing person. And he passed away, actually, before we wrapped production. And um, we, his wife, uh, Marion, works also for the, the newspaper. And Keith talks in this film about, you know, the need for sort of our protection, you know, is there is there a need that, that Russia has its nuclear weapons, China has its nuclear weapons, we have ours, so it is almost a deterrent. So, but, you know, there's that question of where do you draw the line? Um, do you continue testing, or do we all realize that this world is too important? Um, are the people of the world are too important? You know, the, the future of the world is too important. So... I do think if I was a betting person in Las Vegas, <laughs> there's there's probably the likelihood that um, the testing could resume again. And I will say this: the test site is still operational. When you go into the test site, um, they're not doing nuclear testing, but there certainly are scientists and they're working. And um, when you go on the tour, you see people with with access who are in there doing things. And I, you know. Mostly it's, it's anti-terrorism and things like that that they're, that they're working on. But the, the test set is still restricted. You can't go in there without going through a, um, you know, the, the tour that they take, they take you on. But if you go up to the gates of the test site, which we did several times in Mercury, Nevada, not far from Las Vegas, um, you'll, you'll see a gate and you'll see police cars and guards at the gate. You can't get in. So to me, that says that, you know, there is the potential that they could resume testing. If you talk to people from our film, Ian, Claudia, Mary, they're very concerned that that could happen again. And I think um, they're aware that it really is a possibility. Now, the, the test site area that you visited, is it connected to the uh, the National Atomic Testing Museum? Is that the same company, uh, company organization or what? Did you say is the museum the same organization as the? Yes. What? Um, the museum. The museum just is, you know, has like relics from the atomic age, and they have sort of a recreation of uh, the, you know, some of the underground testing. They actually have a really interesting theater you can go into where you actually feel the vibration of a test, and it's got like the wind from the test itself. You kind of feel the it's a really remarkable experience um, in their theater. And they also, they, you know, they, they take you through the era of underground testing and above ground testing. So 
we had 828 detonations were underground. So the, the, the vast majority of the nuclear bombs that they, that they detonated at the test site were underground. Um, however, there were 100 above ground detonations. The above ground ones are the big, you know, the big mushroom clouds, like the, the side you see of Trinity, you know, the, the fiery ball. Those, those are the above ground detonations. So there were 100 of those, they call them atmospheric tests. And, you know, again, the museum just sort of gives you a history of, of the, you know, the, the detonations, where they took place, how they were detonated. But I think people, people are probably not aware that, you know, even when you blow up a bomb underground, you know, the, the vent, it has to vent, right? There's, when you blow something up, there is a venting process that has to take place. And in some cases, when they did the underground testing, 828 underground tests, um, a prompt massive venting, which is a, means that the, you know, the gases from the underground test seeped into the atmosphere, like they, they got out. And, you know, you could also argue underground testing is adjacent to water tables and, you know, things like that. So there, there is the concern, even if you do it underground, you're still on planet Earth. You know, you're still impacting one, you know, something. So getting back to the museum, it, the museum is an interesting place to sort of take in a piece of history. It's fascinating. You know, it's like it's going to a place where you're, where you're learning about the Cold War era. And, you know, you can decide for yourself if we're still in that Cold War era, even though we've, we've stopped the atmospheric and underground testing, you know, there still is development into the nuclear arsenal. And we point out that that's $63 billion a year. Um, that's quite a, that's quite a budget. I want to give the website atomicmuseum.vegas for those who are interested. Uh, I'm kind of still kind of new here to Vegas, so I definitely plan on visiting, especially after talking to you and seeing the film. But again, the website is atomicmuseum.vegas. Uh, two last questions here, Mark. Okay, 920-some-odd detonations. Did anybody in your research ask, answer the question, why so many? Why 900 plus? 500 wasn't enough? 100 wasn't enough? My goodness. Why so many? It's, a, it's such a good question. And Mary Dixon addresses it in the film. Um, you know, she says something to the effect of, you know, what did they learn on the 928th best? They didn't learn on the 15th or yeah. 20th or 200th. And, you know, some of it is just the, the scientific progress or different, you know, maybe trying different things. I mentioned they, they tested, you know, the underground detonations and they also dropped the bomb um, from balloons. They shot, in one case, they shot it out of a cannon. Um, you know, there, there were just different ways of implementing the test and I think they wanted to understand the impact. But you could also argue, you know, Dr. Mensch talked about in the film, you know, to your point, what did you, what did people not learn from the, 928 tests that they, that they wouldn't have learned in other cases. And not only that, we learned a lot from the Manhattan Project and Trinity. We learned a lot from that one test. And then, you know, constant week also learned, you know, what happens when you drop it in a population, which we did twice. You know, we did it in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And again, something that people have to come to terms with. It, it may have ended, you know, World War. It may have ended a World War, but it started a Cold War. And so, you know, again, that's, that's something that we think is really interesting. One of the things that we, 
there's a lot of commonalities between Oppenheimer and our film. And, you know, we use a lot of the same quotes. They quote Truman, President Truman in the film. In their film, you know, you can hear him. uh, You can hear Truman's words when he talks about dropping the bomb in Hiroshima, as he called it. And we we actually showed Truman giving that speech. We, We have a clip of Truman announcing the bomb on Hiroshima. And it's fascinating. He's coming back from the Potsdam conference in Germany on a boat. He's aboard a boat when he announces that we dropped the bomb on Hiroshima. So all the similarities and the parallels and everything between those two films, you know, it gets back to that question of, you know, what is the price of being a global superpower? A lot of people support it and there are people that don't support it. And that's the decision that viewers, that viewers can make for themselves. We just wanted to kind of lay out the history and, you know, so, so the dangers and consequences of science, you know, science is a very, very, very complicated, um, it's a very, very it's a complicated study. You know, there's obviously so many important parts of science, um, but then there's also, you know, the, the idea that science also creates um, things that can change the world. So in good, for good and for bad. Well, we know that downwind does not open until August 18th, just a few days away. But all, since the success, the overwhelming success of Oppenheimer, uh, what is it doing for your film? Is it giving it, you know, you get getting some early buzz kind of floating over here your way or, or what? Well, we, we hope that's the case um, because when I saw Oppenheimer and I really enjoyed Oppenheimer, it was a great film and I was so taken with all the similarities, the music is similar. There's similarities. Even Matthew Modine, who's our executive producer on Downwind, is in Oppenheimer. He played um, a role in Oppenheimer, and um, we, we, you know, we, uh, the, the timing was just incredible and, like I said, serendipitous. And we hope it does raise awareness. I guess my my hope is that as people look at an iconic American like Oppenheimer, that they'll also look at the people that were in the wake, you know, that were in the wake of Oppenheimer and other scientists. As I mentioned, it's um, it's a tremendous uh, coincidence of the timing. But in some cases, you know, when you're telling a truth and when you're when you're working on a story like this, we had a lot of quote unquote coincidences come up. Like I had, you know, the, these the dots were all connecting themselves. It was very interesting, and if to us, it wasn't really about coincidence. It was more about when you're telling the truth about something, when you're talking about a story that is so significant that there, there are bound to be a lot of um, sort of happenstances or things that happen, you know, to, at the, around the same time. And this is no exception. Have any of the people uh, interviewed in the film, have they seen the final product yet? Like um, some of the Native American people, Claudia, any of those people? Yeah, because um, we we screened it at a, a few festivals, and um, you know Mary and and Ian and some other uh, we did screen actually in Nevada at Cordillera near Reno Tahoe, which is an incredible film festival. We had an amazing time there. We won best uh, documentary feature, and Ian was there with me, and we did a lot of um, you know Q and A afterwards. We talked about the film, and you know I think they they feel grateful that we're that we're getting a story out there that that otherwise people weren't aware of. And again, the timing is really remarkable because now so many people are aware of Oppenheimer and who he is. And it's our hope that, you know, people also become aware of 
of James Devarte and Claudia Peterson and and Mary Dixon, and then people like um, you know Patrick Wayne, who was impacted. You know, this is a very uh, complicated issue. You know, Martin Steen, who was arrested so many times at the at the, um, at the test site, but really believes in civil disobedience. Michael Douglas talks about how much he loves being an American. He's incredibly patriotic, but he also talks about how things, you know, can change and should change. Um, we have to keep moving, you know, be being proactive and and take care of each other. So that part of it is, you know, like we said, it's, we hope the story, we hope our film is, you know, becomes a part of, of becomes a part of history and people talk about it and, and change is made and people are, are compensated and all of those things. But, but most importantly, just the, that the truth is out, you know, is told, our story is told and that people can, and, you know, decide whether or not, you know, they, they agree or not, you know, again, some people really support the, you know, where we are as a global superpower. I certainly, like I said, recognize our, my privilege as an American. I love it daily, but I, again, I also recognize that um, we can do better. Finally, uh, is there a website for the film, uh, Instagram, social media, TikTok, all of that kind of great stuff? Um, yeah, so we are backlotdocs.com, www.backlotdocs.com is our website. I really encourage people to go to our Instagram, the film Instagram page, which is at downwind underscore film. And that will have information about where the film is playing. We still have several festivals that are coming up um, all over the country. And, you know, like I mentioned, video on demand, you can pre-order it now on iTunes and Voodoo and Amazon. And by Friday, it's going to be almost everywhere. You'll be able to get it, you know, on several um, cable platforms and other places. And if not, um, we're going to keep an ongoing list of where you can see the film. And also, you know, we are also open to, um, if people are interested from, from different theaters and places like that, we are, um, we're hoping to do, like, a, like I said, some special one-off screenings for sure in Las Vegas. As I mentioned, we'll do um, Q&A. Ian, Ian and I for sure will be there and um, my co-director, Doug Miller. Um, but yeah, I would keep an eye. The, the best place to do that would be at downwind underscore film. Okay. We got it. And we will put that on our uh, respective pages and such. And people can always email me info at filmfestivalradio.com if they need that information again. Oh, I tell you, Mark, this has been amazing. Uh, I always like to ask filmmakers, what's your next project? Have you already started on it yet or what? Yeah, we actually, we, we do have a, a couple of projects that, that we're working on, um, and they're a little bit different, but we're also going to, we're kind of, we're looking to kind of un, uncover um, stories that we think are interesting, American stories. We're, Doug and I are, um, we love American history, and so we have a couple of things coming up um, that are a little bit different than Downwind, but um, on our website, when I can talk about those, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely talk more about that, but we're we're we are, um, you know, in addition to this film, we're sort of moving forward with the next one. So we're excited for that as well. I'll let you know when that's, when that's going to happen. Oh, absolutely. Please let me know. Well, in the meantime, I look forward to meeting both you and Doug and the rest of the people uh, associated with your film when you have your Vegas uh, event. So you know how to find me. And uh, thank you so much for the insight and for this film. As I said at the top of the conversation, it's not 
easy to watch, but it's needed viewing. And it seems like every generation continues to have an interest in this whole topic matter. It's, I think that's great, though, to just keep, never let it die out. So hopefully it'll never, never happen again. Yeah, I just, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. We are, we just really feel like this is such an important story to share and it's such an interesting part of, of American history. And then you're right. It, we say it right up front. Michael Douglas, you know, opens the film with the statement, you know, that it's a, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to, to watch. Um, but it's a true story. And it's also at the end of the day, inspirational. Like I said before, Claudia, Mary, Ian, you know, they're, they're, they're happy the story is being told and they're inspiring other Americans to do, to do their part, to be Americans. It's what we do. You know, this is a very complicated, um, government, you know, we're having a complicated sort of a divided time in history, but we're all Americans and this is part of the process and this is democracy in action. I think, um, you know, that I'm thrilled with it. I'm thrilled with, with the fact that, you know, we, we get to be, activists we get to be patriots we get to you know we get to support this incredible this incredible nation to make it better absolutely and all of this incredible work that the activists have done over the years there you know we of course we would like bigger faster progress but there has been progress made and hopefully it'll get a complete progress as we go along so again Mark, thank you so much for Downwind. Again, opening August 18th, Select Theaters, and you've given the uh, Instagram link, and so we will continue to support the film. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you again for having me today. Absolutely. So take care, and I hope to see you in Vegas very soon. Thank you. Okay, thank goodbye. You. I hope to see you too. Okay, goodbye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another edition of Film Festival Radio with your host, Janice Malone. Be sure to download this and other episodes at filmfestivalradio.com. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.